Constructive Voices, the podcast for the construction people with news, views and expert interviews. Hello and welcome to Constructive Voices. I'm Steve Randall. On this episode, we're talking about one of the necessary evils of business, whether you're building a large construction project or sorting out a new mobile phone, contracts are everywhere and can be risky. Avoiding the ambiguities is key to avoiding the disputes. One of the the biggest problems faced is changes which are verbally instructed on site. Getting those matters agreed in writing can sometimes be problematic. That's Simon Dunkling. We'll hear from him shortly. Also, of course, Peter Flynn, Pete the Builder, will be joining me shortly. But just a reminder that we're very close now to the UK's leading construction and design show, London Build 2021. The Expo takes place at Olympia London in the Grand Hall on the 17th and 18th of November. If you want to find out more and get your free tickets, just go to londonbuildexpo.com. That's londonbuildexpo.com. There'll be more than 500 speakers across the agenda, across six conference theatres. There'll be hundreds of exhibitors, exclusive free-to-attend networking events as well, including Meet the Buyer Sessions, Women in Construction and Diversity in Construction. They'll be entertaining Entertainment and the Festival of Construction with celebrity guests and much more. So head over to LondonBuildExpo.com and get your free tickets today. What does connected construction look like? Viewpoint Construction Software connects your office, team and field. Viewpoint's cloud-based project management and field solutions help contractors of all sizes manage projects, processes and people from the design phase through to on-site completion and handover. To learn how Viewpoint is helping Wilmot Dixon, Kia, Galliford Tri, and over 8,000 other construction companies deliver projects on time and on budget, visit viewpoint.com. And Peter Flynn, Pete the Builder, is here as always. Hi, Pete. How are you doing? Hey, Steve. How's it going, man? Yeah, all good. Thank you, Pete. Now, um, in this episode, we're going to be talking about contracts. But before that, I thought we should talk about just another terrible tragedy for the construction industry. Um, This one reported last week from Lagos in Nigeria, where a building collapsed, killing a number of people and around 100 construction workers trapped. This was a building that was being constructed. Just a, a horrible accident and... You know, our, our thoughts are with those involved, but these things do happen, unfortunately, occasionally. Pete, it's, look, let's be honest here. This is this is a tragic event, and it's 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 a country that is is behind where we are in the Western world and, and in other parts of the world in terms of the health and safety, and just in general the the construction uh, methods and techniques that are being used. But the conundrum they have is that they've got a huge population and they also have a lot of people who have got money in those countries. And so it's a real situation where there's haves and have nots. And, you know, it was actually a a high end apartment block. It was, it was intended to be a high end apartment block that they were building. Uh, Unfortunately, it was, it was a huge collapse from what I can read there. The building was, was made bigger than it was originally intended to be. And it was just on an ordinary day. There was a lot of people on site, including engineers and and, and then just general workers, uh, bricklayers and labourers. And pretty much the building collapsed and, and it just went layer by layer uh, down. And, and, and the photographs are, are quite stark. It's like the building just went down like an accordion. Like it's, it's really, really 
tough stuff to see. And it, it certainly opens our eyes to the reality. I have to admit, sometimes when you're when you're in the middle of all these health and safety inductions and the reality is when you see where we, you know, could be or have been in previous times, it's not it's not a good place to be. And, you know, we obviously offer our full condolences to, to any of the, the, the families and people involved in it. It's, it's, it's a very, very tragic event and it's something that construction shouldn't be involved in. And we really do need to start, you know, trying to, to help and to get the, the developing countries in the world to, to start upping their game in terms of the health and safety because this is people's lives we're talking about here, you know. So ter- terrible stuff, you know. It's something that I'm not surprised to see, though, unfortunately, because I was, I, I did work in Africa. I done a charity build in in Lesotho, which is which is a, an independent state, landlocked by South Africa, basically. And I kind of got to see it firsthand. And being honest, like it, it, it is like a different world over there in terms of the way that they approach work in general, and um, in 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 particular health and safety. When when I was there, I was talking to a guy, and he was involved. He was an engineer, and he was involved in in uh, bridge building and there was a period of time when there was basically bridges collapsing quite a lot because pretty much the cement wasn't being used so they had to start really open their regulations in terms of the amount of cement that was was done in each mix and they had to do quite a lot of, of testing because for some innocent reasons but some sinister reasons where basically where people were, were, were holding back on the, on the materials there wasn't enough cement going in there wasn't enough steel going into these structures yeah i mean ex- experts have said that uh, often building materials are of poor quality construction standards poorly enforced and of course in nigeria as with everywhere pretty much in the world construction is booming at the moment and i suppose for everybody wherever you are in the world it's a reminder that you have to take the standards of both materials and the work being done so seriously, even where there's pressure on materials at the moment, as we know, with prices going up and supply chains disrupted, there's no opportunity to cut corners if you want to do things safely. Absolutely. Like, it doesn't matter which part of the world you live in. Um, if you're European, American from the Gulf, from the African regions, it, do- it doesn't matter where you're from. When you wake up in the morning and you're heading out to go to, to a construction site to work, you, you know, you're going there to, to earn some money to, to come home for your family. And uh, obviously that's all sorts of different levels in, in terms of the way that people do things in different countries. And it doesn't matter when you walk out the door to, to go to a construction job or any job, you should be able to return uh, safely to your family um, and, you know, regulations and those health and safety enforcements are there for a reason. And again, a very unfortunate but stark reminder of of how these things can happen and, and look again you know there was there was a, a serious incident not too long ago in in the us as well so it's really about making sure that everybody works as part of a team and making sure that every element of construction is is, is looked at properly and that the bigger picture is, is is always that you know construction is important but people's lives are are definitely more important Constructive Voices media partner in Ireland and the United Kingdom is construction industry news. Since 2002, Construction Industry News has been focused on the very latest projects and developments within the UK and Ireland. The United Nations COP26 Climate Change Conference is on right now and we're holding a special event on November the 24th, the post-COP26 roadmap for the built environment sectors. Victoria Burrows, World Green Building Council Director for Advancing Net Zero, will be joining us along with a panel of expert guests. We'll be talking about what COP26 means for you 
and the rest of the construction industry and how we're going to move forward in a more sustainable way that's going to be better for our planet. There'll be a special episode of Constructive Voices shortly after that event, so make sure you like or follow using your favourite podcast app so that you get that and all the episodes automatically. So, Pete, we're talking about contracts. It's one of those things that it, it kind of is in every part of our lives, whether you're sorting out your, your new gas or electricity supplier or you're building something huge. And things can go wrong, can't they? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Um, me and you, Steve, we get to to talk here in Constructive Voices about lots of lovely stuff and we're, we're talking about real positive stuff and we get to delve into all of the most up-to-date and technological stuff and it's really good. But you know what's always lurking in the background? There's always the reality that there is, let's call it the less sexy part of construction, which is <laughs> the part which is contracts. And um, as we, we all know, um, we always get a little bit nervous no matter who we are, no matter how uh, small the contract is that we may be signing. It could be something small like uh, signing up to a to a, a, a year for your, your telecom or something like that. And you always check it and read it twice. Well, when it comes to construction law and construction contracts, you better read it once, you better read it twice, and you better read it three times because you really do need to be on top of this side of things because Everybody can be a busy fool. They can be out there working really, really hard, uh, doing all the right things. And then when it comes to maybe a side meeting or something happens and you haven't understood what the contract says, you could end up in a very, very, very tricky situation. We're all creative at the end of the day. And the, you know, you know, we want to make some money. But the whole legal side of things, the contract side of things, that is quite boring, isn't it? It's quite dry. And actually, all we want to do is create, build, do things, you know, and that whole contract thing, we kind of think, oh, okay, yeah, we've got to sign the contract. But very easily, if you don't read it and understand it or get somebody else to read it and understand it and look through it all, you can get caught out in a big way. Yeah. Look, there's absolutely no doubt about it. When when you enter into a contract on, on any size of a construction project, but especially, you know, medium to to large projects, the sums are phenomenally high and sometimes uh, the penalties can be quite arduous as well. So look, we, we've got we've got Simon Duncan coming on and uh, he is a, an absolute expert in, in the field. He discusses some really, really interesting um, aspects of the construction contracts and he gives some great pointers on what to watch out for and, and how to, to try and avoid and how to put yourself into a strong position because I've been in a tricky position and it's not a nice place to be. Ah, now I was going to ask you about that. Don't don't give us the full information yet. When we've heard from Simon, we'll come back and talk about this more. But I'm just going to ask you the question, how tricky has it been for you in those times when contracts have gone bad? Yeah, so look, Steve, uh, there's been a couple of times where it's been tough and being honest with you, there was probably one or two where, where it was pretty much make or break for my business. Oh, what a cliffhanger. Okay, we'll hear from Simon and then we'll come back and talk more, Pete. Cheers, mate. Talk then. Constructive Voices, the podcast for the construction people. Simon Dunkling is a director at Arbicon ADR, based in Peterborough in the UK. He's a chartered quantity surveyor, claims consultant and expert witness. He's been talking to Henry MacDonald and set out his career path in the construction industry so far. I started out working for a contractor and a subcontractor. They, they, it was a company which did elements of both types of works. Um, started as a junior surveyor and sort of worked my way up. And as part of that, I was um, heavily involved in looking at the 
contract documents which were coming into the company, which could vary massively in terms of um, the amount of sheets of paper attached to it from you know a single page yeah. right through to a whole ream of paper um, it's worth of documents in your contract. It does be heavily involved in obviously managing the commercial aspects of the work and um, sort of firsthand how difficult the construction industry can be in terms mm-hmm. of um, getting paid and, uh, and getting items agreed. So I ended up studying for my degree in construction law while I was there, largely because I was in charge of reviewing these contracts. I thought I guess uh, get some academic sort of background to it rather than just working from experience. I understand the risks that are in some of the documents, understand exactly what the companies are signing up to and really what sort of rights and remedies you have and how best to approach those to make sure um, you have fair risk allocation and uh, companies get paid what they expect to be paid at the end of the job without getting uh, hit for large contra charges or having variation claims dismissed on the basis of them allegedly being in the contract already. And then from that, I moved into um, where I am now, Arbicon ADR Limited, in claims consultants. Um, so now I do a lot of work helping the sort of subcontractors and contractors where I started out, the ones who are unfamiliar with exactly what they're signing up to. And we uh, work to try and help them get on an even keel to start with to prevent issues for those who come to us later in the day where issues have already arisen we work to uh, to sort them out resolve them disputes and, and get it put to bed and get it settled for them now in terms of the companies you deal with are these bigger smaller both uh, what would be the largest firm you work with and what would be the smallest so we work with companies which have multi-million pound turnovers and likewise we work for um residential clients we're working on small projects on their own homes. The industry doesn't really discriminate when it comes to disputes and, and problems. They happen across the board. In fact, a lot of our clients are probably on the smaller end, small subcontractors or companies, you know, small medium enterprises selling over a few million pounds a year. There's all companies who are very good at what they do, but not necessarily uh, have the in-house experience in terms of legal and commercial knowledge, which is where we can sort of slot in and help them out and uh, resolve their issues, as well as helping them get to the property in the first place to avoid them. And uh, this phrase, onerous contracts, especially in construction, can you yeah. define that and, and what forms it can take? Yeah, of course. It's, so in terms of onerous construction contracts, really a lot of it comes down to risk allocation within the contract and it's making sure that the contract that gets signed by the parties accurately reflects the intent of the parties going into it quite often that's the case but then also it might not be you see there's a number of standard forms which are used in the industry which are designed to fairly apportion risk between the parties but a lot of companies will use their own bespoke forms or they'll start with a standard form, then heavily amend it and change the clauses and the risk profiles within the contracts. What you end up with is a contract which has more risk placed on one party than the other. Obviously, usually it's uh, the party who's receiving the contract rather than writing it who ends up with the most risk placed on A lot of companies, unfortunately, just don't necessarily read the contracts they're sent, you know or really understand what they're signing up to. A lot of people check 
know, that the price is right and the date they're getting paid is right, but then don't really dig into the nitty gritty, which is where they can be exposed to a lot of risk and uh, and lose a lot of entitlements potentially. And you said something earlier, which I thought was really interesting, but you said that the construction industry is one of the most vulnerable to contracts going wrong. Why do you think that is? The construction industry is quite strange, really, in that the way it's set up, it's when you look at a project, it's made up of numerous different parties who come together for that one project. Each have to work together, but then each obviously also has their own agenda and wants to protect their own interests and make sure that they get out of the project what they intended. So all these parties come together on one project and may then never work together in that same format again. A lot of new relationships are formed. The industry is very much prone to delays and changes in scopes of work, and that can very easily lead to relationships becoming quite strained and fractured. And then when it comes down to it, then this is where the contracts um, come into it. It's a a very sort of stringent contract will be designed to sort of protect one of the parties in the event of such changes uh, and delays and make sure that their their vested interest in the project is still protected, whereas other other contracts, which could be easily, as erroneous by... uh, as onerous even, sorry, from the lack of content, um, may be completely ambiguous as to what steps are to take when there is delays or changes and who's responsible for the time and the costs. And it, it yeah, it leaves, it leaves people in the industry exposed. I was going to say, most people in the, the industry will be, uh, will have stories of um, difficult jobs they've worked on and, and difficult accounts, which have arisen. Everyone goes in with best intentions, but um, it's a difficult industry. Given that ex- potential exposure, what does Arbicon bring to the table for a construction business as it embarks on a new building project, for example? Okay, so what we offer a lot of our clients, and we have several clients we work with um, providing this service, is they work through the tender process, so they get themselves to the point where they're negotiating the contract. And then before it's executed, they'll send it to us and ask us to review it with them. And uh, we'll look through the contract, look through any bespoke amendments, any terms, and we'll liaise with our client and point out any particular worries or concerns we have in terms of the drafting of the contract, matters which they might need to capture, which aren't necessarily there, or risks within the contract wording, which they might not necessarily have been aware of or taken due recognition of at the time of pricing it based on the outcome of that discussion with our client we then quite often work with them to then negotiate those terms of the contract with the the other party to the contract to mitigate any sort of disproportionate risks and essentially achieve a document which both parties are happy with and satisfies to sign up to the theory behind that is obviously going in with everyone happy on the risk allocation, being fully aware of what they're to do. It leads to less disputes down the line and, uh, and better working relationships on the project. And can you outline some examples of the kind of issues or problems that lead to disputes over payments, project delivery, 
design outcomes and so on. Yeah, of course. So the three most common dispute categories in construction seem to be variations, delays and defects. Those three items make up the vast majority of construction disputes or a combination of those three, but you'll, you'll see one or the other in nearly every dispute out there. Um, what would variations entail? Variations is typically changes to the scope of the contracted works. This way you see disputes in respect of variations is where one party believes that an item of work that's been undertaken is additional to the contracted scope and the other party will disagree. They'll believe it's included within the contracted scope. That's quite common. Then obviously you see separate disputes in respect of uh, the value of that variation and how it should be valued quite often. Contracts typically allow mechanisms so how to instruct and how to value and uh, different contracts operate differently and, and it may well be the case that the parties haven't actually implemented the processes required and, and that's a key driver in their disputes. Well, obviously when you talk about delays, I mean that's it's, it's it's a kind of given, isn't it, in in, in a business like construction and building that there will there may be delays, you know, weather, materials, whatever. It is a potentially disruptive business, isn't it? You, you've got to be realistic about that. Of course, yeah, it, it is. It's very disruptive. So it's making sure that that is accurately reflected um, in the program, which is in the contract to start with, and then the mechanisms as to what allowances are made in respect of delays and who's responsible for those delays. For example, a standard JCT uh, contract has a schedule of relevant events within the clauses, which the contract is entitled to time if those relevant events occur, sure. and it notifies this extension of time and, and, and goes through the proper you know, process of claiming it. Otherwise, delays outside of those events are the contractor's risk, um, which leaves them exposed to potentially damages for the delays, um, where you see more bespoke or heavily amended contracts and you get into the, you know, the field of being onerous, is where those risks aren't necessarily apportioned fairly. So, for example, whilst the JCT will allow exceptionally inclement weather, a bespoke contract might put all of that risk onto the contractor and so forth with, with several others. So, and that would be a red light for you guys if you were if you saw something like that. that, that yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, you, you'd, you'd see. Oh, hold on a minute, Erica. Don't sign that. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So quite often, I mean, reviewed one very recently, and the entire entitlement to extension of time was very much stripped down to um, variations and uh, a default by by the uh, the other party to the contractor. So. Essentially, unless it was a breach contract by the other party or an instructed variation, then any other form of delay was deemed to be the contractor's risk. You know, if due allowance is made in the tender program and the pricing and the contractor is happy to take on that risk, then, then that's their call. But it's something we'd flag up to them and say, look, it's, it's very restrictive. Are you happy with this? Have you priced on this basis? If not, then we should look to an, negotiate an amendment to this to make the risk allocation fairer to leave you um, less vulnerable to delay damages yourself and liquidated damages claims in the event that the programme does run over, which, like you say, in the construction industry is uh, quite common. Let's talk the dreaded virus. Has COVID-19, the pandemic and the lockdowns been game changers 
for onerous contracts. Has the global crisis created more problems, leading to more disputes over contracts? Of course, it's, it's, it's had an impact. Everyone in the industry has suffered with um, site closures at times and you know restricted working practices. And as well, the, the current issues with um, material procurement, which seems to be a knock-on effect um, of the virus too. It's carried problems. Um, it's come down to the parties, really, and, and how they've dealt with it now. Like a standard JCT contract, for example, a lot of people have been able to try and argue that uh, COVID-19 fell under the fell under the relevant event of force majeure and have sought to get themselves extended time on that basis. So, what, sort of an act of nature, is just an act of God? Essentially, yes, yeah. So yeah. early on, yeah. I mean, the term force majeure isn't actually defined in, in terms of English law, so people have used that, and I think it's quite reasonable to have relied on that in the early days. It'd probably be more difficult to rely on that now if you're entering a construction contract now because it's, you know, the industry and, and the public are well aware of COVID-19. It's harder to argue something of force majeure when you have pre-existing knowledge of the virus <laughs> and, and the impact it could have. What's been quite prudent to do, and it's something we've recommended with all our clients, including when just in with standard contracts, is to seek to have an amendment in the contract, which is a specific clause drafted to deal with COVID-19 and pandemics, so it actually specifically outlines what happens in the event of delays and cost increase caused by COVID-19 and who bears that risk, whether it's the contractor, the employer, or whether there's shared risk allocation, which is, is quite a good way to deal with it. And I think it's something which is, is, is definitely prudent to do. Unfortunately, on the flip side, you've also seen, we've also seen some bespoke contracts come through the door, which we've been asked to amend, which very much place the risk solely on one party. So we reviewed a contract for a subcontractor recently and there's a bespoke clause added in which basically said anything, any delays or costs arising from COVID-19 are completely the subcontractor's responsibility. That doesn't sound very fair, does it? It does not at all. No, it's not. It's not. So these are the points to watch out for because, you know, most people who receive these contracts, especially in small firms, won't necessarily look at all the details of these terms, which um, I say you can you sign up to a job thinking everything's going well, have an issue like COVID, raise its head again, and then you're left exposed and, and, and at risk, which um, when people of the chain are also left in difficult positions, then they obviously want to protect their profit margins, then sometimes that results in claims coming down the chain and, um, and lots of disputes and, and difficulties, which is not nice. It's not a nice thing for the industry. Is Arbican considering advising your clients about fire pushing themselves legally in the event of another outbreak, you know, another variant, another lockdown, God, God forbid? So we do give advice. So every time a client has got a new contract they want us to review, we do always recommend that there's a, an express provision within it which deals with COVID-19 and any events which may come out in the future. So if you do have another lockdown or, you know, delays associated with uh, being unable to to get the supply chain in place, materials or the labour due to COVID nineteen. So uh, it's it's essentially, for example, if you start with a JCT as a base, it'd be a case of drafting in a specific bespoke amendment, which 
places COVID-19 as a relevant event and the knock-on effects as a relevant event, which would allow the contract at the time, um, then you could do similar in respect of the loss and expense provision to the relevant matters, which would allow the contractor and the associated costs with it. Of course, um, parties might agree to different provisions, as you can understand from the employer's point of view, they don't want to take all of the risk either, which um, it's, it's reasonable, it's fair. And uh, I've certainly been aware of some parties agreeing to split the risk of, of costs, for example. So a contractor can recover a percentage. So they're not necessarily fully losing out, but the pain of any sort of COVID-related delay, which is outside of the you know, reasonable control of either party, it's shared so that uh, mm-hmm. they both take a little bit of the burden, which which seems a very fair way of dealing with. No, I mean, obviously, the interrelated matter of material supplies and, and the price hikes that are going across the board Yes. With materials. How has this impacted on contract issues in the business? There's been some upturn in disputes as a result of it. Of course, being able to being unable to get hold of materials has naturally led to delays into the work on site. And likewise, um, due to the price increases, it's it's made it very difficult for contractors and subcontractors to achieve the profit margins. They wanted to achieve um, naturally, of course, and they would like to seek recovery of that and where they can use a contract mechanism to, to do so. Um, so they're not always entitled to it, depending on the terms. Employers naturally push back on the basis of saying, well, you know, it's, it's not the employer's risk either. And, and depending on how the contractor in, it's whether the contractor is entitled to any time or money or should have been aware that there was a potential risk. So you do see some falling out between the parties now of um, who's responsible for those delay periods and, and costs associated with it. Do you think that's, that's going to get worse before it gets better? Potentially. Potentially, yes, because I think whilst you know, people are still suffering the delays at present, so the true impact of the delays on the end of the project possibly won't be known in full yet. So while, until the projects are nearing completion, it's this ascertaining the true delay to the critical paths of these projects, um, which is tricky whilst, whilst the delays are potentially still accruing. And obviously, uh-huh. uh, once it gets to that point and you realise the sort of level of exposure, especially on some of the larger projects, you may see with very large uh, values in liquidated damages, and people realise the, the level of exposure they're potentially facing, and uh, naturally, will the, the more the exposure, the more they're going to fight back and protect their position. So I, I think it, it may well get worse before it gets better. In terms of contracts and, and legal protection and all that, what practical advice would you give to people in the, the industry, whether they're a, a builder, mm-hmm. a construction CEO, or subcontractor? What would your advice be in terms of securing a contract and protecting themselves over a future potential dispute? Okay. The advice generally is to make sure everything is clear and documented. Because if it's clear and documented, there shouldn't be arguments as to what or, is, or what not is included within the scope. Um, you see a lot of quotations go out, which are very brief in terms of what's included, what's not included. 
And likewise, you see contracts which don't necessarily reflect the basis of quite either deliberately or uh, through misinterpretation. So avoiding the ambiguities is key to avoiding the disputes in terms of the contract. And then when you're actually on site and doing the works, it's very much about keeping good records and following the contract. So where you have changes, one of the biggest problems faced is changes which are verbally instructed on site. And actually people do them because they want to progress the work. They want to get on with the job. They don't want it to cause delays. But uh, getting those matters agreed in writing uh, can sometimes be problematic. But then that can cause problems down the line. When you're trying to agree an account, and you don't have written evidence of anyone instructing you to do the work. So exactly what you did is a variation. This then leads to, uh, to payment issues. It's just, mm -hmm. it's just uh, not good. So it's all very much about yeah, clear, unambiguous documents and uh, good record keeping. So unlike the old days in the city of London, my word is my bond is not just good enough for construction. No, unfortunately not. I mean, it, it's not. I mean, there's a lot of very good people in construction. Unfortunately, when you do see the disputes, what happened, a lot of it is because of people acting in good faith like that and words of a bond. They're quite happy to. They want to progress the works, they want to get on and they want to help their clients so that they will work on, on the basis of a discussion they've had on site. And, uh, you know, it, it, sometimes that, that pans out and it works for them. Contractually, they're left exposed, but it comes down to the party. Obviously, the type of work uh, we do here as a, as a claims consultancy, actually, we see the, uh, the problems and where it's gone wrong. So, yeah, relying on anything verbal is, like I say, verbal is only good as the uh, paper it's written on. So it's, uh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. And is UK law robust enough to protect the parties in a dispute in construction over contracts? I think the legislation's quite good as a, as a basis. I mean, it's, there's always new cases and case law coming out where people have... Uh, interpreted the legislation differently and, and you know, has to be read in light of those common law judgments as well now which um so there is some obviously difficulties in interpreting some of the legislation but i mean in terms of the dispute regime it's quite good because you have the uh, industry has its statutory adjudication scheme through the uh, construction act and the scheme for construction contracts not many industries will have, you know, in fact, I think it's fairly unique to construction. I'm not aware of any other industries which have such a statutory scheme. And that does help provide a lot of answers to a lot of disputes quite quickly and uh, as cost effectively as it can be uh, without the need to spend undue time and, and resources in litigating. Um, because that's where the real money would be lost, really, wouldn't it? I mean, Yes. Going, yes. going to court, costly, long, lengthy, complex court cases. Exactly. And, and nobody wants that. It doesn't benefit either party, really. Now, can you think of any large construction projects on a kind of, you know, a generic basis in mm. the country where, there, where, there, where contractual disputes have disrupted them? Yeah, you know, and what lessons are to be learned from, from them for the industry at large? Yeah, so there's been a number of cases come through the uh, TCC the Technology Construction Court recently on, on some quite 
large projects. There's, there's new ones coming through all the time, so it's, it's, um, it's worthwhile keeping track. Would these be mainly residential or would they be a, an amalgam of different aspects of building? More commercial projects, mm. um, it seems, um, for distance. However, I mean, there is, has been a number of residential too, particularly in relation to uh, there's a common theme on both is that. Uh, it's concerning payment notices, smash and grab adjudications, um, where people haven't followed the contract correctly, haven't sent payment notices or payless notices in on time, and therefore had to uh, to pay the contractor in full, um, despite substantially disagreeing with the amount of money claimed. So that that's been an ever developing area of law over the past few years, and um, I think it's there's still. Still some points, which will still be developed there. Again, there's lessons to be learned for the industry from that. Again, it's very much a case of being clear and, and following the contract, understanding what it is in the contract, what you're signing up to do, and uh, making sure you follow those those provisions, especially when you look at some contracts, the NEC forms, for example. Um, you'll also see in a lot of bespoke contracts is condition precedence. Uh, the need to submit variation claims or submit time-related claims, um, compensation events, as they're all encapsulated um, one in, in the NEC, to submit them within a specified period of time or the failure to do so results in forfeiting your rights. Um, now, we, we see several disputes on NEC contracts where people come to us and then they've not followed that mechanism. And, and, puts them at risk of not being entitled to recover time or money, um, even though they've legitimately undertaken additional works and, and suffered delay as a result. Just thinking about cases you've dealt with, I'm curious to know, what's the worst case where there was dispute over contract and the builders weren't paid? I mean, can you remember any of your clients having to wait lengthy periods before they, they got what was due to them? We've certainly had clients who have come to us, and at the time of coming to us, they've waited a significant time, you know, months, very months, and then had debts accruing over that time. They've continued working, so they're still putting money into the contract and still not getting paid. So the positions just get further and further apart. Um, when they come to us, we get them moving, get them resolved quite quickly. Um, you know, working, we are work for you and if, and, uh, and, if, and, if, and if i uh was already in dispute i hadn't hadn't been you you didn't draw up my contract right mm. but it was ambiguous and, and i'm not being paid uh for for work I, i'm doing for a project can you take up my case you're not just a case of you you'll you'll, you'll still do that is that right Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. Anyone who's got a dispute, um, contact us, and we'll, and we'll certainly see what support and assistance we can give. I mean, just if a contract's ambiguous or errors, you, you're still going to have rights and remedies under it, um, under that contract terms. Or even if you've signed it, yeah, there'll still be rights and remedies. I mean, that contract will have something within it. Um, it may limit your rights in places, um, but you'll still have some. And there's always some um, statutory regimes in terms of payment and adjudication in the event that the contract um, doesn't comply 
with those uh, few pieces of legislation, which a number of contracts don't when, when they're bespoke amended or, or bespoke written. We certainly see a lot of incorrectly drafted payment provisions, which uh, fall away, which people don't realise. So, yeah, we, we certainly see a lot of the clients we have come to us um, late in the day and they've got difficulties with their contracts and they are bespoke contracts. It's, it's, it's a case of, you know, reviewing each case on its merits and and the documents they have and, and giving the appropriate advice to, to get it settled. And you would say there is construction law, law out there and it's there to protect you? The, yeah, you, I mean, you have statutory regimes in respect to payments and, and adjudication. So you have routes to take if your contract doesn't comply with those. Um, there's common law as well in the same respect. There are numerous um, principles of law which can also be relied upon if, you know, obviously it works in with a contract and what you signed at the end of the day. But preferable, in your opinion, to get it sorted before you start out, come and speak to someone like yourselves. Very much so, yeah. Yeah, prevention is always better than cure. It's, uh, it's quicker, it's less adversarial, and it's, uh, yeah, it's ultimately more cost-effective. Um, spending a little bit of time and money on getting your contract in place properly will be a lot less time and money that you can spend if you end up in a, in a lengthy dispute. So, Pete... We've heard from Simon. He he knows his stuff, as you said. You know, absolutely. He's a chartered quantity surveyor, claims consultant, an expert witness. He he knows contract law as it relates to construction inside out. And food for thought there. Yeah, um, very interesting stuff there, Steve. It's very simple. And pretty much my take from what Simon has been discussing there is your structure is so important. You've got to make sure that not only is your structure correct for getting the job done on site in terms of making sure your materials are lined up, making sure you're, you know, you've got the, the right pricing on the job, making sure that you've you've got the right labor in place, you know, all your orders are in line, all of those things, you could be doing all of those things correctly. And if you don't have your eye on the ball when it comes to contracts and it comes to what you've signed yourself into, you can end up putting yourself into a very, very tricky situation. You can end up being, you know, you can end up getting stuck in that busy fool sin, uh, syndrome, you know, where you're basically working all the hours that man can physically work and not getting the job done and not getting it done the way that the contract has basically instructed you to do it. So it's really a case of of watching what you sign. Understanding is the key to it because I think I've done it myself you know, I have a very quick look at the contract. I kind of go, oh, yeah, that's a, maybe a contract that I'd signed previously. I sign it. I get stuck into the job. I start moving along. And then maybe three, four months down the line, I'm maybe going to submit my first claim. And then, you know, maybe the QS or maybe the architect or, you know, one of the other building professionals goes, no, no hold on for a second. You know, you're supposed to submit that claim in this way or you were supposed to submit that claim in this date. You're supposed to give a certain amount of notice for something. And you're like, oh, 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 yeah. OK, I must check that out. Or, oh, yeah, I knew that. And the next minute I'm scrambling back to, to have a look at the at the contract to see exactly what it says. So when somebody like Simon is there, you can ask their advice on certain aspects of it. But to have your business uh, running in the correct way and to make make sure that you're uh, securing your own business, it's very important to, at a bare minimum, understand the basics of these construction contracts 
and how they work and how they will affect your business. Yeah, because, I mean, our listeners range from literally, you know, sole traders right through to multinationals. And, and the scale will change in terms of legal representation and knowledge. You know, the, the big companies have got whole floors of legal people who will look through any contract, whereas, you know, somebody on their own or somebody who's running a very small business will need to go to an external lawyer. And, you know, there are costs involved, but then I guess you've got to weigh that up the cost of actually paying a, a legal mind to look through the contract against the risk. Yeah, 100%. And, and uh, Simon said that there coming towards the end of his interview. He actually pretty much says that, you know, you've got to maybe uh, consider, is it worth getting uh, a professional who, who who may understand the legal jargon? And that's the reality of it. That's, that's what we're looking at here. It's a legal document. It's a binding document. And if you can get somebody that can give you that information, it'll just basically give you clarity it'll just make sure that you know you understand what you're getting yourself into and your business remember and everything else that goes with that so not trying to create a big load of fear about this either these contracts are signed every day of the week pretty much any size contract these days has some sort of a contract in place there there are also even without contracts being signed and if once you, you've entered into any sort of an agreement you you are basically bound to certain uh, regulations because if 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 uh, and and if you go to any sort of adjudication um even if a contract hasn't been signed there will be certain principles that will always be uh, used i suppose another thing you've got to be careful of is that you know, you need to speak to the right person because it's a bit like medicine in that, um, and and like general construction. You know, there's no point in in, in asking a plumber about scaffolding. There's no point in asking a, a certain type of a doctor about sur- a surgery that he may never have done. It's about making making sure that you speak to the right professional and that they have the experience and the knowledge which is going to help you. I suppose, like. There's just so many facets to construction, and we speak about all this uh, about this all the time, Steve. There's so many different avenues, there's so many different areas, there's so many different directions, there's so many different materials, there's so many different facets to construction that you need to make sure that you understand your business and you understand what it is that you're putting your business into when it comes to any kind of a contract or any kind of agreement. Now, if the contracts and the agreements are there to help. They're not there to entrap you. They're not there to, you know, cause you hassles and problems. But if you don't understand the rules of the game, how are you expected to be able to play the game properly? You know, there's principles there that are in place to help avoid issues happening between maybe a contractor and a subcontractor, between a main contractor and a client. And then obviously it sets other principles in place when it comes to how the actual project will play out in terms of the duration of payments, the time span that the the client will have to actually make the payments, what percentage of retention is going to be held. All of these different aspects, which can have a huge effect on you, because maybe if you thought there was only going to be two and a half percent retention held at the end of a project, then you come to the end of the project and then the the QS goes, you. so there's the eight percent that we're going to hold off on retention. And you're like, no, hold on for a second. I thought that was only two and a half percent because maybe the previous contract that you're, you, you had worked under was that. So look, there's just lots of different avenues and there's lots of different areas that you need to be cognizant of. You need to watch out for. And make sure that it is relative to your own business, whether you're on the professional side, whether you're the client, or whether you're a subcontractor and, 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 and you know, the boots on the ground type of person that I would be, you know. If you're a client and if, you know, maybe you've had a previously bad experience, you may say to your QS or you may say to your architect, you insist on a certain aspect 
to be added to the contract to avoid you getting yourself back into the same situation where you may have had, you know, a bad experience previously when it came to maybe prepaying for a certain element of the of the job and then that got delayed and the money was held up or maybe you had a bad experience in general just about how maybe a, a previous contractor didn't finish off certain snag items or or left some things unfinished and sometimes people when they've had that experience once bitten twice shy and they're you know maybe a little bit of, of a burn effect from the previous experience and they're protecting themselves Therefore, they're asking for elements to be added in or asking for an additional article to be put into the contract. So you may have, let's say, a standard construction contract with some articles added to it. And and when you see that or you hear that, or if there's some articles removed out of the contract, you need to make sure you keep a keen eye on those articles that are added and make sure you understand them. And if you don't understand them, then you need to speak to somebody who does understand them and get a full get a full understanding of, of what you're getting yourself into. Absolutely. Now, as we mentioned earlier, even you, Pete the Builder, Peter Flynn, have been you know very close to being caught out by construction contracts. Um, I, I think the time has come to share those stories, Pete. I mean, you know, <laughs> how bad has it got for you with this? You're such a gossiper. You, lo- you love a little bit of gossip, Steve. I love it. Uh, no, look. Um, yeah, I, I had a couple of tough ones. I had a certain understanding in, in my head and, you know, maybe the QS that I was working with had a certain understanding of when we were going to get payments or, or, or how much, again, as I said, retention or maybe when we were due a certain amount of money, when that will come to me. And then you might get a surprise where that money doesn't come and you go, no, hold on for a second. That's the way it should be. And then they go, no, well, you need to read the contract. I go back. And then I ended up with a little bit of egg on my face. I then ended up with a, a cash flow problem because, you know, if you don't have the the cash flow coming in, when you have, a, let's say, thought it was coming in, it creates other problems down the line. There was a, a situation where I, I was working on a project and it came to a time issue. So basically, the client expected the project to be finished by a certain date. And we had some very bad extreme weather conditions. We also had a huge delay in, in one aspect of the project. The client was being very insistent that they, they were not going to accept those conditions as an extension of time on the project. So basically what, what the client was, was, was trying to enforce was penalties based on, on the overrun of the project based off the original program that was in the contract to start off with. So I suppose to summarize it, he expected the project to finish on a certain date. Other elements came into the situation and didn't allow us to get the project finished by that date. All of these elements were clearly discussed at site meetings. There were all there was a, a pure or a clear track record there, but I had not submitted an actual extension of time and um, so basically i had not said that we discussed all all of the a the uh actual elements that were causing the problems but we never officially submitted it as an extension of time now at this stage the client was definitely splitting hairs in his favor it was getting down now to how you understood the the way that the document w- was written but there was a serious penalty for going over a certain amount of time, I had understood it that we were automatically getting the extensions of time because they were being discussed, because they were uh, minuted at all of the, the site meetings 
as they popped up, it wasn't as if anything had been hidden or literally just came out at the very end of the project. It had always been involved and every person in the project was involved in it. But this client decided to, to play some really, really hardball uh, towards the end of the project. And I'm going to be honest, it was an extremely stressful time. We, we had a decision, like, what, what what do we do? Do we do we just roll over and accept this? Do we actually, you know, fight it? And if we do fight it, is that going to cost us more money than it would actually be worth doing? The situation was, though, that it was it was going to be a very, very high penalty for us to pay and it pretty much would have meant that we were going to make zero risk and I'm being honest at that point in my career it, it was absolutely a make or break for my business like there would have been a very good chance that it could have put us out of business so you know a lot of sleepless nights some good advice of uh, some 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 good people there was a bit of back and forth had to happen you know it had to be done in the right way submitted through emails to the right people coming from the right people and I had to get my wording right. I can tell you now, those emails that were sent and the the communications that happened at that stage, pretty much where you could call them legal letters that were being written. So it it, it was a very very stressful and tough situation, and and I I I try my best to make sure that I cover myself off going forward, and I'll never let myself get get back into those days where I was you know very sleepless nights, and I was speaking to my business partner pretty much three four times a day about it. We had to go and meet a few people. The amount of time and stress and energy that went into trying just simply to protect ourselves against something that we would have automatically felt we were covered off on. It, it wasn't uh, something that was uh, I expected to happen. And it wasn't something that I was prepared for, being honest, you know. And it meant that I had uh, paperwork that we had to go back through. We had to go through every single minute of every single meeting that had had taken place. And, you know, just the time that that takes and we're literally looking for the right word to be in the right place. It, it was it was extremely extremely uh, stressful, and certainly something that I, I don't think I'll, I'll 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 ever want to go through again. And I and it's something that I certainly wouldn't like anybody else to go through. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they do say you you learn the most from those those stressful, you know, challenging times rather than the, the than the positives. And and it really, you know, in light of what we've been talking about recently um, on constructive voices about sustainability and about climate change and things, the fact that it was a weather related thing should raise some red flags and should actually uh, hopefully make people think. Well, yeah, you know, the chances of weather related delays and those penalties potentially kicking in. Uh, is increasing as as we've said you know with with climate change so time to make sure that all of that is is properly bolted down and you know that the the clauses are the ones you need in your contracts and you're checking out the ones that are coming in from other people yeah uh, excellent point steve and you're 100% right in what you're saying there because when i think as you as you were we were talking about it there i kind of got a bit of a flashback to that moment because we literally had to get the records as to the wind speed of certain days to prove that it would have been impossible to work on those days. We had to get the the rainfall uh, to to make sure, again, that it proved that we would not be physically able to have to work. These weather conditions, unfortunately, are becoming more and more prevalent and and, are more likely to happen over the duration of of a construction project. Another point that Simon made was about the COVID-19 pandemic and how that has affected people contractually because like who could have expected construction would have had to have slowed down as much as it did like in some places it stopped 
completely like in 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 Australia at the moment it it is still uh, I think at a full stop and I know in 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 our situation in, in Ireland we were held up uh, for nearly twelve weeks and and some some aspects of construction were, were held up for even longer so how could you have foreseen that at the start when you were signing a, a contract if you signed a contract eighteen months ago and I I have done that and I'm in this situation and you're bound to those contractual aspects. But yet time has changed and, and situations have changed. This is a global issue and every building professional, every construction professional and, you know, any, everybody in construction, we're in this together and we are facing this challenge in a united way. Going forward, that goodwill might not be there because let's be honest, we all know about it now and we all know where we are. It's really just about you know, protecting yourself and any, the, I suppose to summarize the piece of advice I would give to people who are listening to this podcast today, it doesn't matter which um, sector you're coming from, you have to just be careful and you have to be aware of what it is that you're signing up to and just do your due diligence. And again, if you get to the point where you're unsure of it or you see something that you haven't seen before, that's a little bit of a red flag and you need to discuss that with somebody who can give you clarity on that and who can make sure that you understand it. And again, there's absolutely no harm in recording it and saying to, before you sign the contract, put a note on it saying that that your understanding of a certain aspect is X, Y, and Z. And it can then save people from going through the stressful sleepless nights and <laughs> and looking up the, the the weather actions of you know six months previous and all that type of stuff that i had to go through because it's it's not an enjoyable part of it great advice and insights as always pete we'll talk again next time you can't handle the truth steve you can't handle the truth <laughs> cheers pete cheers and that's just about it for this episode of constructive voices make sure you like or follow using your favorite podcast app to get every episode automatically the next one in a few weeks time will be definitely one you won't want to miss it's our post cop 26 roadmap with victoria burrows advancing net zero director at the world green building council and a whole panel of amazing guests who will be sharing their insights into how we're going to move forward in light of the cop 26 united nations climate change conference which of course is on right now so that is our next episode later on in november you'll find all the details at constructive-voices.com don't forget the dash and join us again next time for constructive voices thanks for listening you're really helping us build something <laughs>